Thank you, worship team. There are indeed times when God comes to us or reveals himself to us as a lion and sometimes as a lamb. Uh, Today we're going to be reading a poem, a very famous poem out of the Bible from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. That's pretty much in the middle of your Bible, so if you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you, it's page 554, there's a time for everything, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 through 8. As you find that, just want to remind you that every year we fill out these prayer cards that are at the back and on the table outside, and... um, It's really a way for you just to write some things down. You're the only one who ever sees it. So you don't need to be fancy unless you just want to impress yourself next year when you get the card back and say, look how fancy I was. But nobody's going to know. And uh, so you write it down. You put your address on the outside so that we know who to send it to. And there's a little gold stamp and you put it in the glass jar. Now, usually we have a prayer jar Sunday uh, but because of COVID and trying to get everybody to come up front like we've done, it's sort of a self-serve prayer card. <laughs> and uh, you take, can take it any time and put it in the glass jar at any time. But we're going to pray over those uh, at the end of the month. But I do want to say that you can fill them out any time. But the next two or three weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, themes, topics that might help inform you as to what you might want to put on your card for this year. And this morning I want to reflect on Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and ask you, what time is it? What, what season is it for you? Do you know? Are you aware? Are you at the beginning of a season or are you, is it time to end a season? That's what the, the writer wants us to um, consider And as we read Ecclesiastes 3, I want to also keep in mind, I didn't say earlier, John chapter 15. So we're going to read these two. Let's begin with Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what has been planted, a time to kill, a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Now let's hear these words from Jesus in John chapter 15. He says this in verses 1 and 2, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Let's pray together. Lord, we come together this morning just for a few, very few minutes 
to, to try to sit underneath the truth of the Word of God. And I recognize there are many competitors, many words that are being spoken now from the culture, from other relationships, the voice that we have in our own head. And I pray that just for a few minutes we could clear our minds so that we could really sit and be pressed down, be shaped by the word of the Lord. As a church and as every individual here, every soul, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you were to read Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, uh, that verse informs us that God created the lights in the heavens. And he says he created those lights in the heavens, meaning the sun and the moon and the stars, to mark out the days and the seasons to come. So God is placing these lights in the heavens to say, hey, one way you're going to use this is going to mark time. And of course, that's what we do. December the 21st, as you know, was the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year, the, the time where the northern hemisphere is farthest away from the sunlight and uh, that's the marking of our winter season. And the very next day on December 22nd, there was 22 seconds more of sunlight. I hope you enjoyed those 22 seconds. It was just a, one more day, one more day closer to summer, and we use those lights to judge what time it is, what season it is. Jesus himself was aware of time and seasons. If you read through the Gospel of John, there's a, a refrain that Jesus says, my, my time has not yet come. So he's anticipating something happening in his life, and at different points it feels like he's getting pressed into that moment, and he'll respond, it's not time just yet. And then sort of suddenly in John chapter 17, he says, the hour has come. There's a, a moment in time Jesus had been anticipating his his death and resurrection. It seems to me that Jesus knew what the writer in Ecclesiastes knew. There was a time to kill, a time to heal. And Jesus knew that, that the first had to take place in order for real healing to begin. Jesus understood time. And my question for us this morning, and the one that I've been wrestling with this week, is what time is it for you? What season are you in? What needs to be planted or built in 2020? What needs to be plucked up or torn down in, I'm sorry, in 2021? What needs to happen so that you can move forward? And I just want to make three observations that hopefully will, will stir your thinking and maybe cause you to write something uh, down on your prayer card. First, I just want to talk about time and humility. Time and humility. The poem consists of 14 mirisms, M-E-R-I-S-M-S, mirisms. It's a technical term meaning a figure of speech, saying if I say the two things at the extreme, then what I mean is that and everything in between. So for instance, when Genesis says God made the heavens and the earth, that's a mirism. God did make the heavens and the earth, but what the writer wants you to know is that he made the heavens and the earth 
and everything in between. It's the way of saying he's at the very beginning, the very end, and all the way in between. And what we have here in this poem is 14 beautifully balanced mirisms. They're, they're meant to say, here's all the human experiences, here are all the human emotions that you can have, and they can't list them all, so they just put out these poles to say, from this and all the way through to this other emotion or this other time in your life. And I want you to notice that strategically, the, the poem begins with this line, there is a time to be born and a time to die, the most important topic. There is a time to be born and a time to die. The purpose of this opening line is to say that God is determining the time that you're born and the time of your death, and he's in, in control of everything in between. And the, the purpose of this line is to de- detoxify us from the false belief that we're in control. We're not in control of the day we are born. We're not in control of the day we die. And we're not in control of much in between. God's ultimately in control of all these things. From womb to tomb, God is establishing the boundaries of our life. Not just the boundaries, but every day in between. Proverbs 16.9 says this, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Isn't that a great verse? You're planning a course, and of course, a lot of times that happens. You plan a course, but then then the Lord actually determines your steps. I'm sure you figured that out in 2020, if you didn't realize it already. Uh, this time last year, you had a plan in place for what 2020 was going to look like. I, I bet if you wrote your prayer card last last year, nobody said how to get through COVID in January. Why? Because God was determining our steps in ways that we couldn't anticipate There are times, like I said, you plan something and it turns out. And then there are other times that God unearths something like COVID or something more devastating to you personally or some joyful event you hadn't anticipated. But he's determining those steps. There are times when God has to turn our lives upside down in order to get our attention. I don't know if you know this book. The name of it is called Hatchet. You know this book? You really have, if you're like a 10-year-old boy, it's like must reading. Uh, But it's really a good book. Uh, Our family listened to it, sort of the book on tape when we went on a vacation. And we would arrive at our destination and we'd say, no, let's stay in the car and listen to Hatchet. What happens to Hatchet? Brian is a little boy in the, the, the book called Hatchet, and he's in a single-engine plane with just one pilot. The pilot has a heart attack, goes down in a wooded area, but he actually lands the plane in a lake. The pilot dies, and Brian survives. And most of the book is about Brian learning how to survive in the wilderness by himself with his hatchet. That's right. That's where you get the name of the book. So Brian's learning how to survive, and all these different kinds of things happen to him. And towards the end of the book, you realize he's sort of got the hang of it. He's built himself a place to live. He realized what what you can eat and what you can can and can't eat. And just when it seems like he's sort of got his life organized, a huge storm comes, and just it's a disaster. 
It destroys everything Brian had built. And, and as a reader, you're like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Except it does one thing. You remember what it does? It, it unearths the plane from the lake. The storm causes the plane to come back up to the surface briefly. And when it does, Brian swims out to get some supplies and he finds a radio and it brings the radio back, can get it to work, and that radio sends a signal to save his life. So the greatest disaster for Brian actually turned out to be the life-saving event. Isn't that how the Lord works so many times? You've built your life and you've put it just together and you know exactly how you want it and it seems like everything's going well and some disaster befalls you and it really does destroy some things, but it, it unearths some things. And those things that get unearthed are things that actually bring you life. Things that you are holding on to actually aren't life-giving. There's something else out there. And the Lord has to turn your life upside down in order for you to get your attention. And my question for you in this time after 2020, not just with COVID, but all the things that happened in 2020, it feels like 2020 was that big storm. Things got unearthed. And the question I have for us is what got unearthed in your life? What got destroyed that needed to be taken away? What did you discover that you need to hold on to into 2021? could be something very simple like meals at home. The way you paced your life before COVID for everyone, it's a different pace now. And maybe just that alone is God saying, hey, I needed you to have a whole different pace for your soul. So what got unearthed? How did God use that season to place something in your hand that he wants you to say, Paul, I want you to hold on to this now forever. God's in control of all time. And we have to be humble enough to know that even the storms in our life might unearth something that could be helpful to us. Second point I want to make is just the a titled Seasons. The poem describes various seasons in our life. There, there's a time to plant, a time to build, a time to embrace, a time to seek, to, to give it your all-out effort. But that's not the only season. Those seasons don't last forever. There's also times to uproot, times to tear down, times to refrain from embracing. There are seasons to stop seeking. There's a time to say, I lost. It's over. Listen, this doesn't necessarily mean something's wrong or bad, I don't want you to think of it in those terms. I want you to think of it in seasons. There was a time for this, but now that season is over. It doesn't mean it didn't have a good purpose or good reason, but that season is over and I need to move on. But it's possible that you could be holding on to this old season that had a purpose, but now it's actually preventing you from moving forward in the way God wants you to move into a new season. I was up at this gas station up here, Circle K. 
I was at the cash register and an older gentleman, now I'm 57, so he was older than me, maybe 70. I'm not saying that's old to everyone in the crowd, I'm just saying he was older. And he walks in sort of uh, kind of in a panic and he's saying out loud, where are all the maps? Where are all the maps? Now some of you don't realize how funny that is. Because you're not old enough to even know that in convenience stores, you remember, you'd walk in and what, what was the first thing in a little turnstile? A bunch of maps. Because you didn't know where you were going, so you go in, you've got to get your map. Map of the city, map of the state, whatever it was. And of course, you'd unfold it, never get it folded back up, jam it into your glove compartment, and your glove compartment just full of un- unfolded maps. And I wish you could have seen the expression of this 20-year-old woman on the other side of the counter. Maps. I mean, why would we have maps? And I looked at this man with some sympathy and I said, Sir, that season is over. Do you have a phone? No, I don't. I was like, see, you're living in the wrong season, my friend. And you can, stand in the, you can stand in the convenience store, and you could wish maps could come back, couldn't you? But guess what? They're never, ever coming back. And I wonder if you might be that kind of person. It, it served a good purpose. It was great. I had some maps in my glove compartment at one point, but I have a phone now. And that season is over. And if I keep standing in this season, hoping it's going to come back, I'm, I'm going to get stuck. So things change. Good things change into another season. I want to make uh, two comments here about seasons and understanding seasons that, that could be helpful to us, you individually or us as a church. First, I want to think about seasons in, in the life of a family. All families, you know this, go through seasons. I remember there was a particularly busy season for Nancy and I. I was the Young Life Area Director in Wilmington, and I was going to seminary, and Nancy was tutoring, and we had two small children, maybe five and seven. And we were at an August adult committee meeting, And a new couple had come on to the committee, and very kindly they came up to Nancy and I afterwards and said, hey, we'd love to get to know you. Could we take you to dinner? Very nice, very common thing for an adult committee person to do. And we looked at each other, and remember, this is August, and we together said to this couple, our next open date for dinner is in December. And they were like, what? What? I was like, well, I I spend three nights out every week with Young Life. I'm gone for seminary the one day a week, and that leaves three for my family, and I cannot give one away. It's not no forever, it's just no for now. Some of you are in that season. That you just need to look at somebody and say, no. No. It's not against you, I'm not saying never, but for now, I'm in a different season and I don't have the ability to do this thing that maybe I would want to do, maybe it would be a good thing to do. It just wouldn't be good for me to do. 
And families get into those seasons. Some of you know the season of having a high school or college student in your home. That's a different, unique season. It's a great season, but it presents sort of unique challenges. And every parent and child has to realize the way we used to do it has got to come to an end. I've got to launch my son or daughter successfully out into the world. And if I keep parenting them like they're five, there's going to be a failure to launch. And it's very difficult, I can tell you as a parent, to to readjust something that had previously been successful, previously worked, but I'm in another season. And it's difficult for the high school and college student because they've got to own more responsibility. They've got to say, "I, I made that decision. I'm owning that for myself. That's a difficult season. Some of you are in that tough season right now. Second thing I want to say about seasons, that was for you individually, is for us corporately. And think about what kind of season we as a church, not not just Christ Community Church, but the church, what kind of season are we in now, especially in regards to our culture? What's the temperature in our culture? How do we engage in it correctly as a church? Is it possible that seasons have changed and we might need to to navigate a bit differently, much like a parent would with a child? There's an assessment by a guy named Aaron Wren. It's a writer that I follow. And this is what he says. He says there's been three main seasons. This is in his lifetime. There's the what he calls positive world, meaning if you're a Christian in positive world and you say you're a Christian, that's seen as a, a cultural positive. That's a benefit to you. That was all the time before 1994. That's positive world. Then for 20 years, between 94 and 2014, roughly, it was called neutral world. That's what he says is neutral world. It's no longer, Christianity is no longer dominant in society, but if you say you're a Christian, it's not criticized. Now, his assessment, and you can decide for yourself whether it's right or wrong, is that currently we're living in negative world. That being a Christian is a social negative. And in fact, what you believe might actually be undermining what is good. Now, you decide whether you think Aaron Wren is accurate, but I think he's at least leaning in the right direction. That we now live in negative world. And so we have to make some adjustments of how we live in negative world. Let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about. And this is, I realize, sticking my hand in a hornet's nest. The House of Representatives just this past week, and I could have picked many examples, but this was just happening this week. House of Representatives passed legislation this week in regards to the language they would use in their documents. These are the words that have to be stricken from the documents now. Father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister, uncle, aunt, nephew, niece, husband, wife, grandson, and granddaughter. Those cannot be used anymore in documentation. They all have to be gender neutral. 
three prominent doctors in a very prestigious magazine just this last month, the New England Journal of Medicine, wrote an article calling for the elimination of sex designations on birth certificates because it actually causes harm. Now, if your belief, if your faith causes you to offer any kind of counter to that, it's not just that you're wrong or you're misguided. That might be neutral world. No, you're, you're, you're harming the social good. You're doing something that's going to hurt people. It's, it's a net, you're seen as a negative on society. Your views are dangerous. That's negative world. Now, I'm not really trying to get into the politics of this discussion. I'm not trying to get into the complexities of gender dysphoria. I'm just trying to put out the reality that in this season, this is where the church finds itself. And when you're in a culture where self-perception or self-biology wins over actual biology, then we have to learn how to navigate in that culture. How do we begin to, to, to carefully construct comments that are helpful, that are, are truthful with the right tone to come into these kinds of discussions in ways that can help people possibly see something different. I think this is where there's a lot of critical thinking that needs to happen because in other worlds, you might just quote a Bible verse. In other worlds, you might just be able to yell loud and get your opinion to be known, but not, not in this world. I think this is where Jesus is saying, you know, you have to be shrewd as a snake, innocent as a dove. You have to come in with the right truth. We're not trying to compromise biblical truth. We're not trying to be politically correct. We're trying to be biblically correct. But you have to come in with the right tone, with the right temperament to begin to hear people and then be able to communicate the truth about what you believe. Like I said, that's sticking your hand in a hornet's nest. That's the season we live in. You can dislike it, but that is the season. The question is, how do we begin to navigate that as a church? And we could have taken that same issue and overlaid it onto politics or onto race or onto a bunch of other things. But the question I have been wrestling with, not with a lot of clarity, is how do we begin to gauge right, engage right now correctly in those dialogues? That's the season we find ourselves in the church. So I think when you think about time, you want to think about it with humility. God's in control. He's bringing things to you in ways that might seem difficult at the time, but could produce some good fruit. Secondly, that there are seasons. And seasons change. And as seasons change, you have to begin to navigate differently in different seasons. And third, pruning. One question I always have when I read this poem is, how do you know when it's time to plant and time to pluck up? How do you know it's time to build or to break down? How do you know when it's time to seek versus it's just time to sit down? Henry Cloud wrote a great book on this called Necessary Endings. 
And he says this, everyone has some area which is difficult for them to let go of. It's difficult to change strategy. It's, it's difficult to stop doing something you hoped would work, but it hasn't. It's difficult to disentangle yourself from toxic relationships. It's difficult to refrain from embracing. It's difficult to stop talking. It's very difficult for some people to remain silent. So Cloud borrows a pruning illustration that Jesus actually uses in John chapter 15. And Jesus, from this passage in John 15, apparently he knows something about gardening because he's talking about pruning. And he knows that in order to get the best grape or the best tomato or the best rose, you have to prune. There's no way to get the best of these things if you don't prune. And two ways Jesus notes that he prunes, and we'll end here. First, Jesus prunes branches that don't bear fruit. That seems obvious. If you think about it, a branch is a delivery system. It's a delivery system for a rose. It's a delivery system for a piece of fruit. It's a delivery system for a tomato. And if those delivery systems aren't delivering, then it's time to prune. And I wonder if you have any branches in your life any delivery systems that don't actually deliver and it's time to prune. Perhaps you have some vision for a business that you really think is going to take off. You're going to build a branch by investing your time, your energy, your, your emotions, your money, and you're going to hope for return, but the return never comes. And at some point... Before you go bankrupt, I hope. It's, it's not time to reinvest. It's not time to double down. It's time to prune. Now, as hard as pruning in that way would be, it's much harder when it comes to relationships. There are many times when you pour your resources into a relationship, like you're building a branch that you hope is going to hold the relationship up. It's going to be fruitful. And that could be in your families, could be in your friendships, could be at work. And you give time, you give emotional energy, maybe you give money, and you're trying to build a branch to the other person, but the other person isn't interested in your branch. They're, they're not coming along. They're not responding. Your help is no longer helpful. The branch you're building doesn't produce any relational fruit. In fact, it might actually be toxic. And at some point, this is the difficult point, it's not time to reinvest, it's not time to double down, it's time to cut the branch. There is a time to seek, Ecclesiastes says, and there is a time to lose. And I've noticed not all the time, But sometimes you deciding this branch has to be cut away, that cutting away actually gives space for something else to grow that you couldn't have seen at that moment. But God is waiting for you to say, your delivery system of trying to maintain this is not going to work. Cut it off, and then I can possibly grow something that you couldn't have imagined. Man, that's hard, is it not? 
It's hard enough to, to, to cut off a strategy or a product line, but when you're talking about a relationship, that's much more difficult to know when to prune. So do you have a branch in your life? It just doesn't bear fruit. And you have given the time, you have given the money, and you've just been unwilling to prune. And now is the season, now is the time to prune. Secondly, Jesus prunes branches that bear fruit. What? (laughs) Hold on. I mean, it makes sense that he's pruning branches that don't bear fruit, but you mean to tell me he actually prunes branches that do bear fruit? Yes, he does. I don't know if you know this, but rose bushes, tomato plants, they produce more blossoms than the plant can feed. And if you don't actually prune it, you're not going to get the rose of a lifetime. You're not going to get the tomato that you want to slice. Oh, I could talk about it. Slice. Put on your sandwich. Oh, man. Not a hothouse tomato. You know what I'm talking about. Just the right size. I'm starting to get hungry thinking about it. So let me move to my last point here. If, if, you, don't, if you don't prune... You're not going to get the best one. And whether you're talking about a plant or a person, to be all you're intended to be, you must cut out some things that could be fruitful. Listen to me. We're not just talking about cutting off dead wood. We're talking about saying this could actually be fruitful. But I'm trying to do something else, and as good as that could be, I've got to cut that off. Listen, Jesus does this all the time. You remember, a whole city is gathered towards his house. The disciples come and find him praying. Jesus, the whole town's at your house. And what does he say? It's time to go to another place. Yes, that could have been fruitful, but I've got to cut that off because I've got a particular mission that as fruitful as that could be, is going to impede me getting to the place that I need to be. And some of us have that kind of fruit that's nice, but it's not necessary. If you're a tomato plant person, and obviously I am, when you grow a tomato plant, you have these branches that come out, produce blossoms, and that's what the tomato comes out on. And here's the, here's the trunk of the tomato plant, and here's the branch And right in between, something else grows. Tomato people, you know what it's called? It's called a sucker. And if you let that sucker grow, it'll actually bear fruit. But it'll reduce the size of the fruit that you could grow on the regular branch. So you have to pull those suckers out. How do I say this nicely to you? You have suckers in your life. They, they could produce fruit. They're not, they're not a complete waste of your time. But they're sucking time and emotional energy out of you so that what you really are meant to be and what you're meant to produce, it's sucking time and energy away. And for you, you've just got to pull that thing out even though it could produce fruit might be people might be events might be social media reading yesterday 
average person spends 144 minutes a day on their social media. Some people don't spend much time, like Pastor Paul. So some people are spending a lot more than 144. Two hours and 24 minutes of every day. I'm not saying you should cut it off. But you see, that can be a sucker. Sucks out time. It actually doesn't give you energy for the most part. It stirs up emotional energy and sucks it out. Do you have things that's time to cut off? For everything, there is a season. There's a time for every matter under heaven. As you think about 2021, what what time is it for you? What season are you in? Let's pray together. 